0: If ever there was an advert for women's rugby, just have a look at Saturday's semi-finals in the Rugby World Cup. The Red Roses were given a scare by Canada but they have made it through to the final and after a heartbreaking loss for France, the Blackburns will be meeting them in a titanic clash at Eden Park. Joining just me to preview the final is one of England's breakout stars of the championship in 20-year-old flanker Sadia Kabea. Right, the 7.30 a.m. theme for me at least continues. Um, As much as I'll miss (laughs) the Women's World Cup, I will not miss these early start. And the giggle in the background you hear is one of England's breakout stars of the tournament. 20-year-old flanker Sadia Kabea. How are you, Sadia?
1: I am very good, thank you. Yeah, doing well.
0: How is training week since Canada? How's it been?
1: Um, So we had our first session today. and um, We had install, which is usually a light session. And, yeah, we've been keeping to the theme. So just a light session today. um, Tomorrow is our first. Proper, fast, and um, bit of contact tomorrow. But yeah, it's been good, and um, we're quite focused had a few meetings, and I think we're just ready, ready to take on the week now.
0: I mean, what a week! Did you think you'd be here six weeks ago?
1: Did I think I'd be in the? Uh, we'd be at the final. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: we—that was always in the back of our mind that we only came here for one reason, and that's to get to the final. So yeah.
0: We'll talk about that in a little bit. Obviously, semi-final day. What a day! Let's start with your game. We'll get to New Zealand, France as well. Were you expecting Canada to run you that close? Obviously, they're the last amateur side in the tournament, and they came in as massive, massive underdogs. But fair to say, they gave you a little bit of a scare.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Canada. Fair play. They played a very, very good game. I think we always respect any team we play, um, no matter how many times we play them. No if we played them before, um, so we knew we're going to have to respect Canada. They've got to the semi-final. Um, you know, they worked to get there. They're a good. They're a good side. And it definitely, yeah, it gave us, threw, threw a, lot, a lot at us in that in that game, especially in the first half, um, especially with their first try, which came off a lot of flair. Yeah, they gave us a lot, a lot and a lot of scares. But I think we always knew that we, we had what it took to win and to get through to the final. Um, but we had to do a bit of problem solving on the day um, to get through that. But yeah, it was definitely a good game.
0: Talk about that problem-solving a little bit, obviously. Well, one, I suppose, you came on quite early in the second half. Obviously, Sarah Hunter and Miley Packer got hooked. Do you think that was a reactionary call from Simon Middleton to the fact that you maybe needed that bit of extra dynamism?
1: Yeah, I think uh, half-time chat, we spoke about how the bench seemed to bring on the energy, bring on that impact and defence, especially because Canada were keeping the ball very, very well. And I think we... We didn't know what to expect from them. We didn't know how they were going to get their tries. Um, But we could see that they're keeping the ball very, very well. So, yeah, we were prepped from the bench that we needed to come and bring bring some um, energy and bring some physicality on. So I think that could have um, swayed the coaches in why they brought on changes early. But, yeah.
0: Do you get nervous coming onto a pitch? Would you rather start a game in terms of the nerves or coming on? Does that make it a little bit easier because everyone's into the flow, et cetera? Or are you just excited to have an impact in a World Cup semi-final?
1: Um, I think usually being on the bench is easier, but um, sitting on the bench watching that semi, I was definitely having a squeaky bum <laughs> watching that, <laughs> and I had even more squeaky bum when they told me to get warm up and go, go and get ready to um get on the pitch. I think when it's high pressure games like that, no matter whether you're starting, whether you're coming off the bench, whether you got gonna get five minutes, it's always high pressure because you want to be able to affect the game in a positive way, um, especially when it's so close like that.
0: Obviously France ran you close in the group stage as well. But do you think a high stakes, high pressure scare like that was actually a good thing to have ahead of the final, not just for the Red Roses who, you know, say the toys go out the cram slightly on Saturday you'll be able to react in a similar way and rely on your systems that work but also for women's, women's rugby because we had not only the Canada semi-final but obviously the Blackburn semi-final um which you know both of them were brand pretty close and it wasn't just a trouncing.
1: Yeah 100% I think for us we don't want to be beating teams 50 plus nil every week and not gain anything from it having tough games that other games that make you better teams and it's the games where you learn new things about yourself. And especially, yeah, for a women's game, people watching, those are the games that get people gripped. Those are the games that a first-time watcher watches it and they, they want to watch the next game. It's not the 90-0 wins or the 70-0 wins. It's those games where it's tight and you see the passion and the flair in women's rugby when you see two great teams fighting it out. So I think, yeah, from an England point of view, from a personal point of view, we definitely needed games like that especially coming up against black fans in the final but yeah and also from a viewer
0: point of view it's great for rugby and obviously you said first time watchers and people getting hooked and re-coming back you know that eight thousand tickets were sold basically in the aftermath of the new zealand france game did you know that
1: yeah 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 <laughs>
0: pretty cool huh? yeah
1: yeah very very cool i mean it just shows that when we do put on shows like that, um, the France New Zealand game and then our England calendar game. When we do put on shows like that, it shows people what women's rugby can be and what the potential women's rugby has to go to. And if right now we're England are playing a team, a fully professional side, playing a playing side is not professional and producing games like that. Imagine what could happen in ten years when we're all professional when we're all been able to train all the time. And then, yeah, it just gets people on, on the bandwagon on on board women, women's sport, women's rugby. So, yeah, yeah, it's a great. It was great to see that, that um, 8,000 8, tickets being sold and hopefully we can put on a great show next week too.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. One word on Abby Dow's tribe. Now, I'm sure you'll know that some people are criticising them for over-reliance on them all and maybe not exhibiting the brand of rugby that the Black phones have quite exhibited in terms of the running game. Do you think that was an important marker to show that ahead of a New Zealand final, you do have that game to match that of the Black Ferns?
1: Uh, I don't think it was important, um, as I say, because I think as England, we know that our pack is very strong and our go forward is very strong. And, you know, if, if something's not broke, don't fix it. Um, we go to our set piece a lot because we know that's what works. But I mean, we've seen tries like that from Abby Abidal many, many a time. Um, that's why she's been selected. That's why. She came here um, after having a break and um, having a, a terrible injury um, and came here and she's been impressing again. Um, I think people know that we have quite, we have quite a lot of talent across the board. Um, you know, Abby Dow, Lydia Thompson, Claudia McDonald. Um, it just happens that we always get chances to strike through our forwards. But yeah, I think it's definitely something that probably the Black fans would now have in the back of their head that we do have weapons like that in our side and it's not just our set piece that we can score through so i think in that sense yes it is um it is a good thing and you know it was was absolutely amazing try and yeah abby wow that's that's just her and that's what we have in our squad so yeah
0: i love that picture have you seen that picture of her scoring in the corner and you guys on the bench all celebrating wildly behind yeah that's such a good photo isn't it yeah very good photo now as well as canada played i think you'll probably agree that you also didn't hit top gear. And I'm sure work-ons have been spoken on on publicly. The consensus is that there are a few more creeks. Certainly Canada uh, went through a little bit more than they should. Is that one of the work-ons? And what else are work-ons before Saturday?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, in these big games, defence is what's going to win you the game. Um, it's not going to be a 10-try game in a final or in a semi-final. Um, and we always know defence is going to be something that's going to win us our game. And yeah, we had... Breaks in our defensive line last week and it wasn't an up to the standard that we're used to um so that has been one of the markers we put down in training working on our defensive connection um as well as slowing down the breakdown allowing us to uh, get our connections properly and be able to get off the line we don't want to be a passive um defensive side we want to be aggressive we want to be up on their face that's something we've been practicing something we're going to bring into the game next week um and I think just our structure working through our structure we're a team who who structure first and then if we need to go to our flare and our weapons when we have a bit of um space and we have a bit of go forward we can but if not we can rely on our structure because it is that strong so it's just um knowing our role and being able to revert back to that when we need to
0: did you watch New Zealand France live yeah we did <laughs> what happens is you just go to the team room and stick it on there
1: yeah, exactly that.
0: <laughs> yeah, nice. And did you have a team that you wanted to win at the start of the game?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think most most of the team was rooting for France. I think that's just because we know we're at a New Zealand World Cup. You, yeah, <laughs> you're gonna you're not gonna root for the home team. Uh, so yeah, that was the the team uh, consensus. But it was a bit of a yeah. If you were in, it was just a bit of a running joke because obviously we're going to play France on New Zealand in a final and either way it's going to be a a a tough final but it's just funny to pick fun to pick one team so yeah there was a lot of loud reactions a lot of ref oh come on (laughs) but but New Zealand this but New Zealand that yeah so it was quite funny to watch the game but also um, everyone was yeah on the edge of their seats really just wanted to see who he was going to end up in that final.
0: Well, I was going to say, Edge of Your Seat stuff was that kick at the end. What was the what was the sort of vibe in the room when that kick was taken and obviously missed?
1: Yeah, well, it was just a lot of <laughs> a lot of big signs, a lot of screams. That that literally was it, and a lot of silence after.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah. surprised. But what a game it was! Now, what did you actually? make of it, irrespective of the penalty miss. The Black Ferns were down for, I think it was something like 60 minutes. They only took the lead for the first time, maybe just under. Do you feel that they are the team that deserve to be in the final ahead of France?
1: I think France lost that final. Um, Still respect to the Black Ferns, but I don't think the Black Ferns particularly won that. I think France lost that for themselves. I don't think either of them played the best rugby that they could have played. And obviously it's a semi-final Loads of high pressure, lots of um unforced errors, um stuff like that. But I do think, yeah, that France, like you said, they were up um, at the start of the game. They had control of the game for most of it. And then towards the end, New Zealand were able to come back. And whether that was through France's errors, um, through France's fatigue or through New Zealand finding their feet towards the last 20 minutes of the game. Yeah, I don't think it was a... a not that it wasn't the best rugby we've seen from both both of the sides. Um but yeah, credit to New Zealand coming away with the win, but it could have won either way.
0: Let's look ahead to that final. How are you feeling? It feels like a ridiculous question to ask, but how are you feeling about the final? Have the nerves set in yet or is it just excitement for the moment?
1: I think it's just excitement. Yeah. Um no nerves, no nerves just yet. Uh like this is what we've we've been planning for um the whole preseason it feels like we've been in camp for years now um, prepping for this world cup prepping to go and win a world cup yeah and obviously we had our first training session today uh, we have another one tomorrow so yeah there's a lot of excitement I think the vibe around camp is we're, we're in a good place we are um, confident in ourselves we're confident in our ability and uh, yeah it's, it's a good vibe right now in camp so I think we're just going through the motions going through the training sessions and then obviously I think on the Friday before, maybe the nerves was up to set in. The reality is that we're going to be playing in a World Cup final in a sold out Eden Park, which is going to be absolutely amazing. But also with a home crowd, which I'm probably not going to be in favour of any of the English. So preparing for that too. But yeah, it's amazing. And women's rugby right now is at is on such a traje- trajectory, and to so be playing in a World Cup final right now we're at a pinnacle of what it's going to be. Like a huge year, huge um, take performance rugby. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing.
0: Sold out Eden Park. You have mentioned that already. And if we're making a narrative out of this, you're going into Saturday's game as the villains as far as Eden Park is concerned. What's talking yeah. camp <laughs> like? Obviously, New Zealand fans do have a bit of a history of being slightly hostile. You know, respect the kicker, for example, doesn't tend to happen in New Zealand stadiums. That sort of a thing. So, how is that being addressed in camp? So we haven't
1: actually spoken about that too much yet. Um, but I think it's like playing France at home. We've played their France at home quite a few times and they have quite a hostile crowd. Um, we played them in the Six Nations final this year. We were booed going into the change rooms. We were booed coming out of the change rooms. you know, any little mistake on the pitch is absolute uproar. Um, so we've gone through situations like that before. Um, not probably at the scale of 40,000 people, probably 39,000 of those are going to be New Zealand supporters. But yeah, I think this team is prepared for anything that is going to come at us. Um, And I think when we are on the pitch, we are quite tuned into what our job is. So yeah, it is going to be a big feat and it is going to be, you know, a big distraction in the day. But I think we have the resources and the, you know, the team synergy to be able to put that aside. But yeah, it is going to be, It is going to be um, something.
0: (laughs) Would you prefer, obviously, the stadium on Saturday? You know, there's no two ways about it. It's going to be raucous. And Will, Will Greenwood has come out and said that Eden Park is one of, if not the most intimidating ground on the planet. And that's certainly the case when you're an away team going to Eden Park against a New Zealand side. But in a way is that, would you want it any other way coming to New Zealand for a World Cup to go to a stadium on finals day and play in a stadium that is just packed out deafening rather than say you had been playing France, obviously still a World Cup final at Eden Park, but yeah. it's not quite the same sort of hotbed of atmosphere, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. What What is going to be better than going to a sold out Eden Park Um Playing New Zealand in their backyard and winning—like there's nothing that can be better than that. So to have the opportunity to go and do that, you can't really ask for any more. Yeah, yes, and and coming into the tournament, everyone wants a New Zealand England final. That's what has been talked about, has been talked up, and the fact that we have a chance to have that now, it's amazing. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a great, great, great day for women's rugby and a great day for the game. And yeah, hopefully we will come away with that win, but. Yeah, hundred percent. I think we thrive off this opportunity, and yeah, we're not we're not a team to back down to that. So I think you'll see a lot of players on the pitch probably thriving off that, off the energy from the crowd.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it's 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 nice to be the bad guy from time to time, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, just a yeah. little bit.
0: Um, and flashback to five years ago. Obviously, well, you were fifteen, but maybe <laughs> maybe maybe you watched the final uh, live. I don't know. This is obviously a, a, a recreation of that final. And we've spoken a couple of times on this podcast. Uh, we had Claudia McDonald, Zoe Hillcroft on uh, in the past few weeks about the demons of 2017 and your likes of Sarah Hunter, Emily Scarrett, Zoe Ilcroft—they They all played. They all had those demons. Are, are they being talked about this week or are they sort of just being put to bed saying this is its own game or a very different side now? We can have even more faith in our structures and stuff than we did back five years ago.
1: We definitely, yeah, it's definitely been put to bed. I think it's in the back of everyone's minds. Um, like you said, someone like me and some, the rest of the younger girls in the team, we went at 2017 and some of us didn't even watch 2017. I had only been playing rugby for a year, I think, so I didn't even watch rugby outside of <laughs> going to a game at my school. But we've heard stories. We we know what these girls, girls felt. We can see it in their eyes when they speak about this 2017 final, when they speak about going to their last World Cup. Um, And that makes it even more. That makes it even more um, meaningful because we're not just doing it for us. We're doing it for those girls who are in the squad now. We're doing it for the rest of that 2017 World Cup squad. You couldn't do it then, and I think nearly half of the World Cup, the squad now is 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 our first World Cup. So yeah, there's a lot of. I think it's it's kind of unspoken, but we know we know we're here to do. We yeah, it's not just for us. It's for everyone who came before. And yeah, we want to go and get that win this time.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. Now let's talk about just a little bit of the rugby side of things. When you think of the Black Ferns, you fit two names come to mind probably Portia Woodman and Ruby Tui. Do you and the rest of the back rowers in particular feel a role in shutting them down because you can stop the in the in the in the loose you can stop the ball getting that wide? Obviously, if the ball mm-hmm. gets to them, in a way, there's also yeah, only think... so, only so much you can do.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, we we know where the Black friend strengths lie. Yeah. Um Porsche Woodman Ruby Touie. I think there's a I think there's a lot of responsibility we feel as back row, as backs, being able to shut that down. And we we are a strong defensive side and we want to be able to sort them from of getting through through the middle as well as on the edges. So yeah, I think it is a lot it is a lot of responsibility. You never want to be that person who creates a dog leg. Who does the easy, you know, soft tackle and they get offloading because we know New Zealand are offloading team and Ruby Tui loves a good offload through through the contact. So we wouldn't be the ones to, you know, put that shot on. Um, sit someone down. Yeah, I know Marley, Alex, Poppy will be absolutely raring raring to go and yeah, ready to, ready to go and yeah, um, chop <laughs> Porsche Woodman in half. <laughs>
0: That's a direct call out, is not it? It is. It
1: is.
0: (laughs) I know you won't be in a position to tell me the team for the final, but do you know the team for the final?
1: Yeah, we have. We have seen the team.
0: You have seen the team. Okay. last question about the New Zealand game, and then we'll go on to the less rugby side of things um, a little bit. Simon Middleton, I don't know if you saw a couple of weeks ago, he said that the Black Ferns had gone favourites. Now, Wayne Smith has said that the Red Roses are still favourites. So neither coach is backing their own team as going in (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as odds on to win. Do you feel this is actually the case? Do you feel that, well, I'll ask you on the Wayne Smith side of things, do you think he genuinely feels that the Red Roses are favourites? Do you f- feel that the Red Roses are favourites going in on Saturday?
1: I think any time a team plays England, they always put out, um, not so much an excuse before, but they always say, oh, the favorites, England are the favourites, England are contracted England have been playing for this long as a way of protecting before they play the game. So I think probably Wayne says that as a way of okay, but if we do happen to leave England, were the fa- to to lose England were the favourites. That's what it comes across uh, to me anyway. I think we were the favourites coming into this tournament, but I think going into the final now, uh, playing a home final in New Zealand, New Zealand are probably the favourites. Um, I think everyone (laughs) throughout the tournament has been gathering more hate for England. (laughs) So we want to go and prove them wrong um, in this final, but yeah, we always, the the players, we don't, we don't um, pay any attention to the social media, to the, to the articles going out. We have people, we have some English, English um, articles and English writers criticizing the England team, the Rose's team. It's come to that point where people are just, you know, finding any, any, Holes and nitpicks that they can in our squad but we don't we don't um we don't yeah entertain that we're going to let our play and let our performance on the pitch do the talking
0: I just want to follow up on that a little bit um in terms of the people hating England mantra because people absolutely love to hate England in sporting circles yeah. and in other circles <laughs> to be fair but like as a fan or as fans we don't necessarily take that personally we kind of thrive in it yeah what's it yeah. like being sort of in the firing line in a more potentially personal. I'm sure you don't take it personally, but in a more potentially personal and potentially inflictive way.
1: Uh I don't know. For me, I don't really see, um, I don't really see much um coming at me personally, but I know for a lot of the players on the team, they would take that as ammo. They would take that and they'll take that fire and they'll bring it, bring it to the pitch. I don't think anyone takes it personally. Yeah. And just like the fans, we fire off that. Um, It just makes the wins that we get even more meaningful and even more um, that shows you kind of thing. Like, this is what we can do. So whatever you're saying, like, shove it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Nice. (laughs) Good. (laughs) That's a very English way of going about it as well, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Right, Sadia, it's time for your random rugby 15. Yeah, when you're ready, (laughs) we will get going. Okay, yeah, I'm ready now. Nickname? Uh, Sards. Best rugby memory?
1: Definitely my first uh game for school and I wore my headscarf to play and it got ripped off.
0: Nice. In a scrum, in a tackle, in a
1: no, in a tackle, yeah, headscarf and braids at the oh, same nice. time.
0: That's your yeah. best that's your best rugby memory.
1: Yeah, because everyone just got rowdy after.
0: Oh nice. Good. <laughs> <laughs> most embarrassing rugby memory.
1: Uh definitely uh when I was at WASP, played against Lightning. Dalika Menon made a break and I went to tackle her and put my face right into her bum as I pulled her shorts down.
0: Nice. All all shorts down or just the top Yeah,
1: Yeah, all shorts. Shorts and pants.
0: Oh, nice. So, bare bare bum.
1: Yeah. Nice. Bare bum, yeah.
0: Pre-game tune?
1: Ooh, Magic in the Air.
0: Who's that by? Oh,
1: God, I don't even know who's by. It's it's an absolute random tune that we've just put in the changing room. And it's become one of the rituals. Yes, magically yeah. yeah, by magic system, yeah.
0: By an Ivorian musical group. My that is niche.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> it is very niche, and we play it every before every game in Love Really? Like, and here sometimes.
0: I'll have to give that a listen afterwards. Post game meal. Uh, not Lasagna. 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 Nice. Best player yeah. you've played against.
1: Oh god. When I was at was Emily Scarrett.
0: Okay. Best uh player you played with? Emily Scarrett <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Favorite player right now. You can't say Emily Scarrett.
1: Yeah, it is, it is Alex Matthews. It is Alex
0: Matthews. Okay, Was that Shauna throwing it throwing the answer? Yeah, at she
1: you knows she then. knows she knows my mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Rugby idol.
1: Rugby Idol. <laughs> Shauna Brown, Shauna Brown. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Favourite stadiums. Principality. Nice. Favourite gym exercise? Cleans, power cleans. Ooh, nice. Occupation if rugby didn't exist?
1: Millionaire. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How are you getting there?
1: Uh, I don't know. I'd be a... What are those people that taste food for a living?
0: Food tasters? I don't even
1: know what they're called. Food tasting, yeah,
0: <laughs> or food critic? I no food critic. No. Well, I don't know. I don't know. That they
1: actually, actually, no, scrap that. I'll be a personal stylist.
0: A personal stylist, okay. Unfortunately, this isn't a visual podcast, but let the record show that I've never seen someone look so blank giving an <laughs> answer to a question when I said occupational rugby didn't exist.
1: <laughs> I mean, if I wasn't, even if I didn't play rugby. Like, right, now, nah, I'm in uni, I still don't know what I want to be. So yeah. if I don't know rugby, I'd be in the exact same <laughs> hey, position.
0: Welcome to my world, and I'm a few years <laughs> older than you, so, you know, could be worse. Uh, supersti- yeah. Superstitions.
1: Um, I don't have any rugby ones, but I don't step on the free drains.
0: Rugby law you would change?
1: Oh. I don't know if there's any laws that I'd change, you Actually, when I first saw this question, I thought, I'd change the jackal law, I- but then I... then. I think every single seven would hate me. I'm yeah, not a was typical seven. I say
0: that's crazy. Okay, so that's what you're saying. Yeah, get rid of Jackling, bring back Rucking.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Wow. Sorry I mean why? we have had we <laughs> yeah. I was going to say we have had that before, not by a seven. Best thing about working in rugby, the friends. Nice.
1: The friends.
0: <laughs> <laughs> someone' is no doubt smiling in the background. <laughs> okay, all done. I don't know how you're becoming a millionaire as a personal stylist. Unless it's like,
1: <laughs> I'll be a personal stylist for Kim Kardashian. I
0: would. That, that's exactly the name I was about to say. <laughs> Although yeah. I, I don't know, I doubt she pays that well for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to get to know Celia Kaber a little bit more in terms of your background. Now you've got a, a very cool story. Um, coming through school, picking up rugby as late as you did, and you picked up rugby as late as you did in part because your attention had been with the shot put for a little while. Uh, yeah. First yes. question: What's your furthest shot throw ever?
1: Uh, it's 11 meters, something. I let closest closest to 12 meters.
0: And that was at the age of 13,
1: 14, 15.
0: Uh, yeah, 13, 14. Wow, is, that is strong. Now, when did all your eggs <laughs> go in the rugby basket? I know you picked up rugby about 14, and you were just thrown onto the pitch, and you know, yeah. you were obviously very, very strong, and realised, okay, well, yeah, maybe I could be quite good at this um but talk about that transition from shot put and maybe did you do hammer as well
1: yeah yeah I so did those, hammer, yeah
0: those olympic disciplines if we'll call them that talk about that to okay I want to be a professional rugby player
1: yeah so I was doing hammer at the time but I decided to do quick flex and go into rugby I'd fallen out of love for shot put which I've been doing for about a year I think I started to like plateau a little bit within that discipline and I wasn't I wasn't enjoying it at all Um, moved on to hammer and my throwing coach he was adamant that I was either going to make it in hammer or shopper like if I stuck to it but um yeah I was doing rugby at the same time had started training outside of school and the training was clashing with athletics and at that point I was having that time of my life playing rugby I was enjoying it so much and it was literally an easy decision for me that if I was going to do one of one of two sports it was going to be rugby that being the team sport the social sport so yeah just put down the hammer <laughs> and yeah when I uh, started doing rugby full-time well full-time as my my only sport at that time
0: yeah I think this is probably a stupid question given that you're three days away from a world cup final at Eden Park but I, I, I'm guessing you're not looking back
1: <laughs> no, no no it never <laughs> looks back
0: and <laughs> um, Bryony Cleal was your PE teacher wasn't she
1: yeah yeah she was
0: so was she a big sort of driving force in saying you know, Sadia, pick up a rugby ball. Yeah, put put down that hammer.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I'd been I I, I say playing rugby for a year when she came. I'd gone to about two fixtures in school because they'd asked me to go to them. But when she came to my school, she set up the rugby academy for the women's team. She was playing at England Academy as well as Saracens. So I was watching her go through her journey to um play for the Red Roses at the same time while I was. Um, in school she was trying to get me to come down to Saracens and I already I didn't know much about rugby but I knew I didn't want to go to Saracens <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, I'm not going there um, I was at Richmond Centre of Excellence and she was like you need to get into the program you need to you need to like p- pursue this um, so yeah she was a she was a huge driving force in um, for me getting me to you know actually take rugby seriously
0: and she made her England debut while she was still a PE teacher at your school right?
1: Yeah, yeah, she does. It came in and showed us the try highlight
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did she? (laughs) I think that's that's probably allowed, isn't it? How old were you at that time?
1: I think I was 15, 15 or 16.
0: Now, weirdly, 15 or 16, that's not too many years ago still. I'm sure you get told this a lot, but the way you speak, you don't seem only 20 years old. Do you feel 20 years old?
1: Um yeah, I think when I go back to uni I feel 20 years old (laughs) And sometimes when I'm in when I'm in camp I feel twenty years old depending on (laughs) depending on who I'm around. Not that anyone's particularly old here, but um (laughs) yeah. Yeah sometimes I do sit 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 down. I think well Shauna always reminds me, she goes, Sadia, you know I'm so much older than you and I hang out with you all the time. I always do get reminded.
0: one comparison that I'm sure you're almost fed up well maybe not fed up of being asked because it's quite a nice comparison is to Maggie Alfonsi both sevens both absolute beasts on the field did you model your game off Maggie's when you were coming through into the England setup and things
1: uh when I started against rugby and started watching rugby I definitely looked up to Maggie but I probably didn't watch rugby for about three years when I started I think even when I was in under 18s and under 20s I was told like you need to go out and watch some actual rugby because <laughs> I would just turn up on the day go to training I didn't I was one of those um, athletes turned rugby players who had no rugby brain whatsoever um so when I did start watching rugby and I did come across Maggie and I think when I first came across it, actually watching a game and hearing her commentate and I was like okay, I need to look up this um look up this woman and yeah seeing her play seeing her style of play I knew I wanted to to be as good as her I didn't know if I could be similar to her and I think it wasn't until like the past year or two which I really I've found my style of rugby and I can see it's very very similar to Maggie's um but she was definitely someone who I looked and I was like okay I want to be as good as her when I play um it just happens now like yeah we are we do have very very similar styles of playing
0: and she does say that you're as good as her if not better what you make of that
1: (laughs) yeah I did see that and I was like god,
0: god. <laughs> yeah too, no pressure too kind
1: too kind
0: <laughs> can't ask if you agree with that but were you flattered were you i don't know in shock
1: yeah no i was very flattered i think i just randomly saw it on twitter um someone yeah. tweeted me uh, the link to the um interview and i just thought yeah. wow <laughs> just so that's that is crazy Nike, once he's saying that yeah that
0: she thinks oh
1: yeah just crazy
0: <laughs> now that's sort of round off that journey a little bit because there's one other thing I want to talk about flashback to that tournament opener and all you went through with starting at school and going through the ranks and you know making that active decision to decide to, decide to play rugby Speak about the thoughts, the emotions behind getting your chance at a World Cup opener, scoring those tries, getting player of the match, um, meeting Dan Carter. (laughs) That whole journey.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This whole journey to here has been crazy, especially the last year. It's been an absolute whirlwind. Not even knowing if I was going to be going to the World Cup, even in the build up. Um, You know, there's people who, you know, we can, you know, they're going to be going. And right until the last moment, until the team sheet came out, I was on the edge of my seat, didn't know if I'd done enough, if there was more I could do. And then obviously, finding out I'm going to a World Cup, you're like, okay, phew, I've done it. Like I've, I'm on the plane. Then you get out here and you're like, well, okay, now we've got a whole World Cup to go and win. Um, and then obviously being hit with COVID in the first, in the first couple of days, um, being in isolation, yeah. I thought that's my chances to play the Fuji game out of the window. So yeah, spending that first four days, biking in my room doing banded exercises Team actually came out while I was in isolation and I was starting because I was I was already far enough through my return in my hotel room um to be back fit for that game so yeah it was a lot of emotions um you know just landed getting over the jet lag had covid and now I'm going to be starting in the World Cup opener um so yeah it was pretty crazy uh, i think i just wanted to you know take every opportunity that i had um Go out there and play a good game um, <laughs> to be able to come away with player of the match. Then, uh, you know, the first, uh, my first ever World Cup, the World Cup opener as well. Um, it was crazy. I remember when um, Emily, um, our media um, lady came over and told me, you need to go back because I already wanted to go um, get changed and, you know, get get on the bus. Oh, you need to go back because you've won player of the match. I remember thinking, what? <laughs> I remember just <laughs> thinking, what? I'm walking back down the um, tunnel to go out and just feeling like eternally grateful. Just very, very grateful to be in a position that I was Lead up to it, um, just getting in into the squad and then being able to play that game, it was like, yeah, it was a, it was a very big roller coaster. So to have got to that point, yeah, I was just super grateful. I didn't rethink really in until probably a week later, <laughs> um, yeah, meeting Dan Carter, getting the getting the really really cool Player of the Match trophy as well. Yeah, it was amazing. It was just a really something that I'll cherish. Yeah, for the rest of the rest of my life
0: probably. Just one side to your sort of journey that I do want to briefly address is you've spoken a little bit about this in the past about the transition from you went to a school in south london where am i right in saying that it was majority black pupils yeah yeah. and i guess from the rugby side of things you go from playing for a rugby team where the majority or at least a decent chunk of the players are players of color to the more traditional scene of white dominance in lots of professional spheres but certainly professional rugby spheres I guess the word imposter syndrome and maybe that's putting it lightly comes to mind. But how did you deal with that coming into England setups or wasp setups and things like that? And then you look around you and you're like, OK, well, I am now more different than I was if I'm wording that correctly.
1: Yeah, my journey into rugby was quite an anomaly anyway. Having going to rugby academy in South London is unheard of. Um, And I think it probably gave me a false sense of security, thinking that that's what rugby outside of my school, outside of South London was going to be like. Um, I also played with a load of my friends. Um, So not only did we look like each other, we had the same interests, we had the same music tastes, um, we spoke the same way, we had the same jokes. So yeah, to go outside of school and to go through the pathway and quickly realise the further up the pathway you get, the least diverse it is. Um, the less people you see who I I saw who look like me, who sound like me, who I who I can relate to. Um, it was definitely a shock, and I think my first shock was when I joined my first Premiership club in Richmond. Um, I spoke about obviously Richmond being a white middle class area, and um, therefore the rugby there was white and middle class. Um, and I also came in when I was seventeen, turning eighteen. So I was young, very, very young at the time as well. So you're very, very impressionable at that age and you want to be able to fit in straight away. You don't want to stick out. And especially when you're playing rugby as well, you want to be able to um, like fit into the team culture as well as um, fitting in on, on the pitch as well. So, yeah, um, I did lose myself a bit in that first year, year or two um, playing rugby because I wanted to fit in and I couldn't not fit in with the way that I looked I couldn't fit in with my hair I couldn't fit in with the music so I the, the, the easiest thing was just change change the easiest things yeah that I could so listening to different music speaking a different way suppressing you know things that I came second nature to me because it was unheard of while I was playing rugby it was unheard of with the girls that I was playing with wow. yeah so that first year two years looking back on it now um was pretty hard and I don't think I say younger me, I'm only 20 now, but my younger self realised that I was going through that. I only look back now and I see how different I was because I wanted to fit in. Um, and it's not until I moved to Wasp, um, who had, I think they had five five, women of colour in the team. And I moved in at the height of Black Lives Matter. And uh, Giselle, who was head coach at the time, uh, set up a call for the players to speak about what they were going through that t- in that time um speak about their experiences and then to put it to the group if they had any questions if they wanted to learn and it was more, mostly just to sit there and listen and that was the first time that i felt like i'm being heard and people actually want to see me they're not just they didn't want me to just fit in and be be like them they want to see me and they want to hear me it's not just about what i look like but it's also about our cultural differences and what i see as how I see society and just different things and that was the first like click for me like you don't have to be different to fit in uh, rugby isn't a place as as much as I might not look the same but everyone everyone is welcome and that was like my first yeah switch and I think I was 18 yeah I was 18 turning 19 and um, that year so yeah it's only been a year two years since I felt like I've really been able to be myself um within the game but um and then obviously meeting Shauna coming into the setup having someone like that here has been very very powerful for me and very very important for me because it's like going back into a um completely new environment where there's so many high it's a high pressure environment so it's very easy to go back into that shell and very easy to revert back to being wanting to fit in wanting to not do anything wrong but having someone like shauna here, who's so unapologetically herself makes you want to you know be yourself too and and this made me also now want to be that person for uh young girls coming through the game as well
0: when you say that you couldn't be yourself, uh, it was Rich Richmond. Yeah. Can I ask what that actually means? Like, were you just in a shell, basically, or you had to conform to certain behaviours that you wouldn't ordinarily do?
1: I think, yeah, I was probably in a shell. I probably didn't let my personality shine. I think, especially now that I've been been through a few teams, you you like pick up, you pick up new slang you pick up new jokes as you go through but i was very much a south london girl through and through at that point and i felt like i couldn't i'd have to cut any slang that i was using because people wouldn't understand or they would laugh at me or they just wouldn't get it i wouldn't be able to put a song in the change room because someone would say next or what is this or um yeah just and and little things like that where it's something that i felt so comfortable listening to this one song where the whole team would think what the hell is this and it just makes you want to go into your own shell and yeah, it just probably changed the way that I speak, changing the way that I was walking around. Just tiny things that when you like, put it into the perspective of your whole personality, it changes you as a person.
0: Do you think there's an awareness at white centric clubs that say you put on a song that culturally to you is is very natural, you know, maybe even very significant. Do you think there's an awareness that there are sort of racial implications to just clicking your fingers and going next song?
1: No, I don't, I don't think there is. And I think that's just a rugby culture thing in general. Yeah, I think it's just a rugby culture thing in general, especially because it is a white, um it is a white middle class sport. And most teams are majority white. So you are just used to what you know. And I don't criticise that in that way because I know it's not done maliciously, but it is something that if you were, if I was to sit down with these players and say that this is what this actually sometimes, you know, gets me down on, they would understand, but because you you haven't come across that, you don't know what it feels like to be in that situation. I think it's very very normal for yeah most teams if I was, to put on a song that is not is not um common in whatever area they are to say next and move on, and you wouldn't even know what imp- implications happen having on someone else.
0: Have you ever had someone actively address sort of the difficulties of racial difference coming into a rugby club to you that isn't someone who can relate? If that makes sense, you know, someone in the club come up to you and say, right, if you do feel like an outsider, you can always talk to me about it. And I'll pull some strings to make sure that people are being more open, more inclusive, more considerate.
1: I think, yeah, when I was at um, Wasp, I did. I think I just I think just around that whole Black Lives Matter time, everyone was a lot more aware and a lot more willing to um, ask questions and not feel like they should be embarrassed asking questions. Um, and there's also the flip side is we don't want to feel like we're teachers. We don't want to feel like we're always, you know, given answers. But at the same time, you don't, if you don't ask, you don't get. If you don't ask, you don't learn. So, yeah, there has been times where I think there was one one player at who did message me personally just to say anything I can do or anything I can learn about, please let me know. And we did actually have a, a team phrase where if something was said that was slightly off target is what we called it. Someone like someone could speak up about it and in a way where it wasn't like you were being attacked. It was just like, hey, that thing you said was slightly off target. This is why, maybe don't say it again. But that phrase off target was used to say, I'm not attacking you. It's not something that, yeah, you've done consciously wrong. But here's why it offended me.
0: The reason I ask is because I suppose not every team or setup has a Shauna Brown or Shauna Brown equivalent in it not to say that you don't deserve a lot of credit which obviously you do for being able to deal with struggles like that and getting through it but it does obviously help when you have someone to give you that helping hand and say I can relate to this this is what works for me obviously it's a lot more difficult for a team that doesn't you know have those people that can relate or even if people that can relate but people who are actively trying to improve that sort of a thing so I would presume you'd agree that these things have to start from the ground up and that is to say to start at the grassroots level, from the people at the, at the highest point, they say, right, we've got to start from the root and actually promote inclusivity so that these problems eventually in 10, 15 years' time don't need addressing. In a, You know, you look at football and that it needs addressing a hell of a lot less than it does in rugby.
1: No, 100%. I think I would say that when it comes to, like, people asking about coaching um, more, more black culture, culture roles like up the ladder and we always say we we don't want to just pick people from anywhere and chuck them to the top it starts from grassroots and it works its way it works its way up so yeah 100% i do think now especially you know we've got four four black girls in the in the england squad right now which doesn't seem huge but for us it's crazy <laughs> we, yeah. and for young girls who are looking into the team they're seeing four people who look like them and that's just enough um, you know, to spur someone on. But yeah, I definitely think the message does need to come from the top to to the grassroots. Cause I think, like you said, they don't have people within the teams who can speak about it or who understand it. Um, and you only can understand if you hear about it from someone else or you know someone who has gone through that. Um so whatever way it does need to get down down to those levels. Or um yeah, through those teams, I speak from someone who who has gone through that.
0: Do you think it is that simple started at the grass levels, promote inclusivity, diversity, and all of a sudden you get more participants of colour going up through the ranks as well? And it just sort of naturally falls into place, and all of a sudden these problems later in the line don't manifest. Do you think it really is or can be that simple or should be that simple um... rather?
1: I think it should. I think it should be that simple. But I think it ultimately it's not going to be. Um, like when I got through, I went through the pathway, there could be a million girls who were like me who got who got to the Premiership level and think actually, I don't feel very comfortable here. I'm going to stop now. And then those are the girls that, who could have been playing for England in, in five years time, but because they didn't feel comfortable, because they didn't, yeah, see anyone look, look like themselves who didn't feel because not even so much um people who look like you. It's also those culture, uh, those shared cultural experiences as well. And when you can't share that with anyone else, you also feel quite the So, yeah, I think it has to start start at grassroots because you, you ultimately you want to go somewhere where you feel like you can be comfortable. And I think if we can get that in the grassroots level, you're going to get more young girls playing, more, more uh, young girls from different backgrounds, from different social levels playing, um, of different colours playing. And then, yeah, hopefully get them through the pathway, onto the pathway. But yeah, it can only start from the bottom. It can only start from the bottom. And it will take take many years. It will take many years, but it definitely is. It is um, growing.
0: Certainly. And like you say, the four of you in that England squad is very much emblematic of that. Well, that was a bit of a digression, but thank you for talking about that. And obviously it is a very, very important thing that needs addressing. It feels like we've gone away from... You have World Cup final in four days, but (laughs) as we (laughs) wrap up, it's
1: going to take the mind off it.
0: Yeah, exactly. But as we wrap up, I just want to say, obviously, huge, huge, good luck for Saturday. I'm sure you will soak it all in, regardless of the result. World Cup final in Eden Park, and obviously, fingers crossed, the Red Roses get a win. Can you give us a score prediction before we wrap up?
1: Oh, score prediction. I'm going. 24-10 24-10 to England
0: 24 10. how many tries in that 24
1: three three tries one okay. one penalty yeah okay. I mean yeah
0: that's, that's what, it, what it's okay. going to be <laughs> three, three, tries, three tries to one to England yeah okay alright that's a prediction and obviously I'd, I'd be absolutely thrilled if that happened and the Red Roses would be thoroughly deserving of a World Cup win so Sadio huge good luck on Saturday and yeah it's been great meeting you thank you very much yeah it's been lovely as always get yourself a copy of the rugby paper available in stores on Sundays or you can get it delivered to you through our digital subscription. Let's hope Sadie's prediction is right, come on the Red Roses and next week's episode we'll be reviewing the final, the tournament as a whole and what it means for women's rugby.